Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Shannon Judkins, and I am the children's ministry team leader. It's a pleasure to be here today. I've been asked to um, help lead the family snapshot. So I have invited a friend of ours. So I also get to teach down in the K2 classroom. And I see some of the kiddos here. Some of you will know this guy. He is here visiting with us to help me out. And so for the kindergartners who have not seen him, you get to meet him today and all the family members as well. So with that, I want to introduce Carl. Now, wait a minute. Don't get confused. It's not Uncle Carl. This is Carl, our friend down in children's ministry. Hello. Hello, Miss Shannon. How are you today? I'm good. It's good to be here. Man, it's been so long since I've seen you, Carl. How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good today, good. you know. I, I got to share with you, though, that, you know, I had a period of time during this virus thing that, that's kind of struggling. You know, I was, I was missing everybody and, yeah. you know, not being in contact with them. I didn't know how they was all doing, and so I was praying about it, and, you know, I, I remembered Philippians 4, 6, and I think that was quoted earlier today. Yep, you know, about morning. don't yep. worry about anything, but pray about everything. So I made a worry list. And then with that verse in mind, I thought, well, I'm not supposed to be worrying about it. That's right. So I crossed out worry and made it prayer. So I made a prayer list, and I was praying, and... Uh, lifting things up to the Lord, and then I remembered some of the lessons that we learned downstairs about, uh, well, casting all our cares on Jesus, so I made that worry list again, and I wadded it up, and I give her a toss. Well, good you know, job. Way to remember. You can just throw cast them away. All, casting all my cares on yep. Jesus, you know, That's from 1 right, Peter 5, 7, and then I remembered what you taught us in large group about how to relieve stress some, and that we... Ah, take a deep breath and hold it, and then we blow it out, yep. and we breathe in the good and blow out the bad. Hey, just in case anybody else is feeling stressful, let's all do that together. Okay. All right? Here we go. We breathe in the good, hold it, now blow it out slow. Hey, that right, felt that's good. good. Hey, I think some of you might have went like a balloon and went... <laughs> Blowing it all out. All right, let's try that again. All Breathe right. in, Jesus. Hold it, blow it out slow. Just like a big sigh. Hey, boys and girls, now you might, you remember that. Now you might have to help your parents practice it at home, you know. And it's a good stress reliever. You do that three or four times and things will feel better. You breathe in good and blow out the That's bad. That's right. That's right, Carl. And, Thanks. you know, and there was another verse. It goes right along with our okay. hope series. It was Isaiah 40, 31. You know, and it, it's those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles, and they'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Well, that verse really helped me get through some tough times. I was about ready to give up and give in. But That's, it gave me yeah. hope, you well, know, and strength. You know, just day after day, one day at a time. That's right, Carl. You know, that is certainly right. You know, we can go to God's Word, and we can get scriptures on hope. That's and right. I, and that's, you did exactly what we wanted you to do. And you know what? 
That reminds me, down in our ministry room, we do focus on a truth that says, we can trust God no matter what. No matter what. No matter if it's what it's looking like down here, we know he has us and we can have hope and confidence That's in right. that. And you know, during this sermon series, I've learned a verse I want to share with you. It's out of Romans. It's Romans 15, 13, and it brings me great peace. So it's like this. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a good one too. Yes, and you know what, Carl, that tells me as we fill up with hope, we entrust in God, we can take his joy and his peace and we can spread it everywhere we go. And this is a good time to be doing that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yep, so that's, that's really good. I'm glad you're remembering our tools of hope that we've been practicing. Yep. So that's good. Hey, Carl. What? I've got something pretty cool. In two really? weeks, two weeks, Carl, two. we are starting our children's ministry. I'm so excited. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see the kids again. But, yep. you know, is, is it, is it, I got a problem, I think. You, What's wrong? What, what, what do we do? I'm, I'm a little worried about, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? And what are other people going to think? Well, you know, Carl, you don't have to worry because either way is okay. We all are friends. And if you feel like you need to wear a mask, it will be okay because there will be others that have masks on. But if you don't feel like you don't need to, it's okay. Jesus loves you no matter what, mask or not a mask. So you're welcome to come, and we will keep things really safe down there for oh, you. Oh, good. That, that, help. that helps knowing that. But you say, how, when's, that ca- when's that happening? It's coming up in two weeks. Two weeks? Yep, two oh, weeks. Oh, man, I better go get ready. I'm so excited. Okay, Carl, we'll see I, you then. Yeah, I got to go. Bye. Hey, boys Bye, and girls. Bye, Bye, Carl. Buddy. Boys and girls, I'm excited. Your teachers, your leaders have been preparing the rooms and everything for you to come back. So we can't wait for you. And we encourage you to come and help us launch our new year. Did I hear somebody say launch? Carl. (laughs) See you then. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Carl. I was telling the first surface uh, that that was following a puppet. That's a new one for me. It's a first. I was kind of reminded me of like, you know how in Sesame Street they bring on like celebrities? I was like, I kind of feel like I'm a celebrity. Shannon's the celebrity, but I'm having a Muppet moment, so savoring it. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Kathy Haug. Really excited to be in these last couple weeks of our series on resting in hope together. And um, anytime I get the opportunity to teach this time of year, I want to make sure to say thank you to this church family and many individuals and families within it who um, I have the privilege of being a supported and sent missionary to the college campus with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And um, things are kicking off this week, right? First day of class, um, was Wednesday at Central and, and Penn and Hills. And we hope there are a lot of students as well as faculty and staff who are with us. We're thinking of you. We know it's been 
a long week. Um, but I want to bring a couple of just encouraging stories um, from the campus. And I felt like they fit so well with what the last couple weeks in this Hope series have been focused on. So if you were here or watched online, Charlie reminded us that we can find so much hope in the great mission that we have, right? That as we're people of prayer and care and who share the gospel, um, that we can see and have joy and hope for ourselves and for others, right? And then Tim reminded us last week that there's a a deep and abiding hope for us in real, rich, grace-infused relationships. And I always say, acknowledge, I'm a little bit biased. I have an eensy-weensy bias. I think the college campus is a phenomenal context, and for both of those realities to happen, right, in mission and in deep relationship. And in fact, actually got to hang out with some of the central students this week on Wednesday, some of us, right, we had our kickoff in our varsity, and well over 100 folks kind of spread out on the lawn outside the library. We were masked up and blankets and glow sticks and worship, um, and we just had a blast together. And got the chance to, to talk about the story where in the midst of a storm with a wind coming against the disciples, Jesus goes out on the water and Peter gets out of the boat, right, and goes toward Jesus. And as he kind of gets distracted by all, all of the wind and as, you know, students we talked about, maybe it's the winds of just the stress of starting college in a totally new environment um, or the actual winds of the derecho that hit the state a few weeks ago, right? Whatever it is um, that if we're sinking, we can reach out and Jesus immediately reaches toward us too and grabs us and rescues us. And at the end of the night, somewhere between 20 and 30 students stood up and said, that's what they want this year. They want to reach out in a fresh way to Jesus and follow him this year. And it was so fun to talk to some students. Um, One student said they had no religious background, and this was really a decision just to seek and and have their questions answered. And and others were following Jesus but feeling just dry, and so it was a renewal. But praise God, right? Isn't that amazing? Such hunger on our campuses. Um, And one other story that is bringing me joy uh, in these days, when so much of our outreach is actually in virtual spaces, a lot of our campus are only virtual, um, and we're doing Zoom Bible studies and Instagram outreaches. And um, in addition to the 40 campuses in the the four Midwestern states that I serve, um, we now have student contacts from more than 30 campuses where we don't have any university groups. So students not Christian who want to know more about Jesus or students who want to start something new on their campus. Isn't that amazing? 30 new campuses. So God is on the move, and we have so much to be grateful for. Um, But for today, uh, we were all asked as a teaching team earlier in the summer a simple question. We were asked, what's bringing us hope in this season? And when I, when I heard that question, I knew right away what had been bringing me hope and what I hoped I could share with you all this morning. Because this summer, these last six months or so, I have been finding this rich and beautiful hope in disillusionment. Now, I know that's kind of a strange Word, that's kind of a strange sermon title. Like disillusionment has this negative connotation, right? So I'm going to get there in a second. But let me just say um, that 
you know, when I think about that word, just to define it, um, as a noun, it means that it's this feeling of being disappointed that something is not quite as good as we believed it to be. So that's the noun. The verb to disillusion is to cause one to realize that an ideal or a belief is false. And it's, you know, fascinating. When you look up these word definitions, uh, they show you this kind of chart this graph of the usage of that word, particular word, over time. And normally it doesn't interest me, but I was fascinated because there were two clear peaks of this word usage over the last century. And one was right around the late 30s, early 40s. And the other was uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay, so think about globally what was happening. We have right around World War II. And then around the kind of intersection of the civil rights movement and the war in Vietnam. So global conflict, disruption, dismay, disillusionment, it made me kind of wonder, are we going to see another peak of this word in 2020, right? But before I get into some of where that was coming up for me, I just want to state the main hope really clearly today. Because I believe that God invites us to desire truth over illusion. Would you all say those four, just four words, say those with me. Desire, truth, over illusion. That's right. And in doing that, we can find in him, in our God, a hope that does not disappoint. And I want to make a strong case for this, first and foremost, from the scriptures. I'm going to be pulling out some Old and New Testament texts and, and a gospel narrative from John. And, and I also want to reference uh, a couple of important 20th century prophetic voices in the church. But to go back a minute, um, where this came up for me, uh, I was meeting with my spiritual director, who I just want to honor. Um, the amazing Terry Van Dusseldorp is my spiritual director, and she's such a grace and gift in my life and in so many of this church family. And Terry and I were meeting and talking, and she had been learning about dealing with disillusionment herself. And she read this excerpt from a book called Leading the Lazarus Life by Stephen Smith. And she, um, in the excerpt, it exhorts us to practice the spiritual discipline of disillusionment. And when she read those words, there was something in, you know, just in my spirit that went, oh, yes. Like those, those are the words that totally capture like what I've been experiencing these past six months or so. I just had this epiphany. And Terry, naturally, she's a teacher um, by trade, and she wrote a paper for herself to process, and I asked uh, if I could read a couple excerpts, and she graciously gave me permission. And she said it this way, the word disillusionment is normally used in a negative context, as in being disappointed and in despair about something. But disillusionment has the potential of being a positive experience. Disillusionment means to be stripped of false impressions or misconceptions. To be disillusioned means to give up false pretenses about God, ourselves, and others. A necessary part of the journey toward being a transformed person is practicing the discipline of disillusionment. For we tend to hold on to so many illusions in our lives instead of embracing what's true. 
And facing our illusions offers us the opportunity to disillusion a false reality and to discover life-giving truth. And in that is hope, right? It reminded me of the first time that I remember someone told me, like when you go into a dressing room at a department store or something, you try on some clothes, the first time I learned that the mirrors in the dressing rooms are engineered to give you a slightly more positive reflection of yourself in a given outfit, you know what I'm talking about? And I remember being like, what? Come on. I'm kind of okay with that. (laughs) Right? Actually, I kind of like that version better. And right, that's the thing about illusion is a lot of times I like them better than what's true. I prefer them over the reality. And this last six months, if if I could be honest, I kind of felt like we have been in a house of mirrors. Anyone been in like a fun house? Like, you know what I'm talking about with all the crazy mirrors? And you kind of, you're like, ooh, you're coming up to one and making a funny face and you're like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then you turn to another one and you're like, ah, no, weird, creeping me out. You know what I'm talking about? And it's kind of like, that's what we, okay, I, I, I kind of like those. I don't like those. I'm going to prop those up, keep those, get rid of those. But it's nothing new, right? It's, it's a human problem. Uh, Isaiah writes about it uh, in his prophetic book in, in chapter 30. I want to just read a little bit there. And he's talking to God's people who are really in a very um, vulnerable, exposed situation. The empire of Assyria is growing and threatening to conquer. Um, They truly are exposed and vulnerable. But in their fear and in their vulnerability, they're making some really bad choices. They're making uh, alliances with old enemies, old oppressors like Egypt. And they're tempted in all kinds of ways. And specifically, he calls them out and he says, Your children are unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. For the people say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusion. Leave this way, get off the path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Right? It's been true a long time. But when I look back over these last months, um, I felt a lot of that myself, right? There were times when I realized I had some disillusions or people were disillusioned about me and my leadership and, and my character. And, and sometimes I think we've been disappointed in one another or the world or the church. And, and it's been hard to grapple with as a community. And I think it's important for us to name some of the illusions that might have been exposed or really shattered in the last months. And, and I want to start with the illusions about ourselves and others before we use John's story to talk about the illusions we have about God. So let me just name a few and see if you resonate with any of these. The illusion has been exposed or shattered of our immortality. The illusion of our resilience and fortitude. The illusion of control. 
How about, at, how about at the group level, at a communal level? The illusion of a shared national identity. The illusion of racial harmony. The illusion of a unified church. Really hard to grapple with. It's so tempting to look away or to be defensive and not see if there's truth to be found as illusions are exposed. I I was thinking back to earlier this summer, and in response, uh, our church community, in response to the killing of George Floyd, um, which again this week, we are feeling a fresh wave of after the shooting of Jacob Blake in the aftermath in Wisconsin. Um, And our church, in response to everything, was an folding as that illusion of racial harmony was broken in our country. Our church offered some spaces to pray and lament and also to to gather in a class. And and we went to the scriptures to see where God reveals that our ethnicity is a gift from him. And we needed to do some work to say, what are the really beautiful, good things about each of our ethnicities and our ethnic communities? And, And what are the parts that are really broken? They're not as they should be. And how in the midst of all that do we somehow respond to the requirement of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? And at the end of the class, as we reflected on our key takeaways and next step, there were many of us in in the class who, one of the strong emotional moments and convicting pieces was actually in week one where um, this class of members and, and deacons and elders, we, we actually read and talked together about Reverend Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. He wrote the letter uh, in August of 63, exactly 57 years ago this month. And he wrote it in response to uh, white religious leaders in the South. And in this letter, he reveals two profound disappointments. Two places of disillusionment with, in particular, the white church and the white moderate. And I just want to read a quick excerpt or two from this that we wrestled with together. Dr. King writes this, First, I must confess that over the last few years I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. And secondly, he speaks to his disappointment with the white church and its leadership. He notes exceptions, but says that he doesn't say this as one of those negative critics who always find something wrong with the church. King writes, I say it as a minister of the gospel who loves the church, who was nurtured in its bosom, who's been sustained by its spiritual blessings, and who will remain true to it as long as the court of life shall lengthen But he writes, I've watched white churches stand on the sidelines in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice. I've heard so many ministers say, those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. 
There was a time when the church was powerful, but things are different now. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo, and I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. Um, as we read the letter, and we grappled with the fact that we felt like this could have been penned this summer. What do we do with this, Lord? I don't want to look at it as, I, I don't know how to know what's true and what's not and what's mine to hold. And, and at the end of the day, I, you know, I hear the voice of the psalmist. Would you, psalm 139, I love this psalm, right? The psalmist just says, Lord, what's the point? You know me. You know everything about me. I can't hide from you. And the psalmist, that, that psalm concludes with this great prayer, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a psalm and a prayer we could pray for us as a community, right? As the church. Search us, God. Know us. See if there's any offensive way in us. And the great thing about bringing that before God to say, show me if I've got any illusions about myself, is that the hope is that he will take us in a new way, right? When we release those illusions, he will lead us in the way, the better way, the way everlasting. And in there is our great hope. Now, King writes this letter at a time where, you know, I mentioned there's that first peak of this word disillusionment. I'm sorry, the second peak. But we're going to go to the first, right? So into the World War II, uh, great theologian and thinker C.S. Lewis writes uh, his seminal work, Mere Christianity, in 1943. And um, Lewis writes and addresses a very similar thing, this illusions that we have about our faith and the core tenets of the Christian faith that actually are very challenging to grapple with, and we have these illusions about our faith or God that we need to lay down. And so he writes this. I think it's so interesting. He writes, all I'm doing is asking people to face the facts, to understand the questions about Christianity, the questions which Christianity claims to answer. And guess what? They're terrifying facts. He writes, I wish it was possible to say something more agreeable, but I must say what I think true. Of course, I quite agree that the Christian religion is, in the long run, a thing of unspeakable comfort. But it doesn't begin in comfort. It begins in the dismay I've been describing. As we see, there's a moral truth, right, and we fall short, that dismay. And it's no use at all trying to go on to that comfort without first going through the dismay. For in religion, as in war and everything else, comfort's the only thing you cannot get by looking for it. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin with. And in the end, despair. Most of us have got over the pre-war wishful thinking about international politics. It's time we did the same about religion. C.S. Lewis. There's much that we have to grapple with. 
but it's a hopeful thing, right? And, you know, Paul writes in his letter to the church in Philippi, um, just to build off where Mike left um, the opening scripture, right? This comes right next. When Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But for me, that, that first one really got me. Whatever is true is the first thing he says. And I have some tension because to me, sometimes true things don't always feel so lovely, right? Sometimes true things don't feel so admirable. And really, only Christ himself can fully embody this list, right? And so we look to him, but we're also challenged. Whatever is true, we can grapple with it with Christ's help. And that's why it's so important, primarily and foundationally, to also grapple with the illusions that we have about God. And I want to take us into the scripture. If you want to follow along, we're going to go to John's Gospel, the 11th chapter, to do this. And this is a story uh, about a family that Jesus just loved dearly. His good friends, Lazarus, Martha, Mary... He loves him so much. But the story is tragic in that as Jesus shows up, Lazarus, who's been sick, is, is dead. He's been dead four days. And picking up in verse 20, John writes that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her first words to Jesus. And they'll be echoed by her sister. Terry wrote a little bit about this in that paper I referenced. Just help me imagine the scene. She writes, I can imagine Mary and Martha preparing Lazarus' body for burial those four days venting angry tears. And each tear rolled out more disappointment. And each groan revealed their disappointment in Jesus. And they each lamented the same confession of disappointment to Jesus, saying, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And in their shared confession, it's revealed that they have a shared illusion. And it's this. Bad things will not happen if Jesus is present. This illusion was the root of their devastating disappointments with God. What are the illusions that you have about God? Where are the places you felt disappointed that underneath might be some untruth, some illusion you have about God? So in between services, talking to some folks, and we were saying things that were true of our understanding of God from growing up. That God is constantly disappointed in me. Right? That God is usually angry with me. That God is harsh, mostly concerned with my behavior. What, what are the illusions Maybe an illusion that if I just pray enough, he'll give me what I ask for. 
if I'm a good enough Christian, whatever that means, maybe my life will be pretty good too. What illusions do we have? Do you see that illusion Mary and Martha had? If you were just here, if you were present, bad things aren't going to happen. But what does Jesus do with their disillusionment? Look at what he does here. He says to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. And Martha answers, I know, he'll rise again, the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? You see, he offers her a truth in the face of her illusion, right? And the truth is far better. Bad things won't happen if Jesus is present. That's the illusion. The truth, guess what? I've swallowed up death. I'm the resurrection and the life. Even in death, I overcome. Isn't that better? Isn't that a better word? And when Mary finally, in her anger or whatever, gets control and comes out and says the same thing, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. And when Mary comes out and says that, what does Jesus do with her? He weeps with her. And he says, let me show you, Mary. Let me show you I'm the resurrection and the life. Let me show you this truth that's better than your illusion." And he calls Lazarus, right, out of the grave. After four days, Lazarus comes out. And I love this part. Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. And for me, this is the image that I feel like I'm holding on to as I'm being encouraged to practice the discipline of disillusionment. It's that Lazarus image. Lazarus, he's wrapped in the grave cloths that his community spent days wrapping around him in mourning, right? But what's the truth? Is Lazarus dead or is he alive? He's alive. And so when Jesus says to the community, take off those grave clothes, he's saying, strip off what isn't true anymore of you because you're alive. And every time that we courageously come to God and we say, search me and know me, search us and know us and show us any illusions we have, we want to be disillusioned by the power of your spirit so that we can live in a true hope. That's good news. And Paul captures this glorious good news. And I want to actually read it in the New American Standard Version. I love this. Paul writes in Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only in this, but we also exult in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven, proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement to us this week is to courageously practice the spiritual discipline of disillusionment. 
And in a minute, I, I, I'm going to actually guide us through just a brief reflection time with God to practice that together. Um, and, and the worship team can, uh, at, at your convenience, come back up so we can do that. But let me just say a little bit about how we could apply the spiritual discipline of disillusionment together. Um, one way we do it is instead of looking at the illusions, we look at what's true, true things. So think about um, folks who are trained to spot counterfeit currency. So the way that people are trained to do that is they don't study all the fakes. They study the real deal, right? They study the actual currency. And then they can spot the counterfeit. They can spot the illusion. And so I would encourage us to get into the scriptures and grapple with the true nature of God and ourselves as revealed in the scripture this week. And some, just a quick word or a clue, sometimes when you're reading in the Bible, sometimes we find some places, right, where we're like, oh, that's, that's so nice. Like, I want that painted on my wall. And other places we're like, oh, no, 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 that's weird. I don't know what to do with that, right? Am I, right? We get uncomfortable with some parts. And what I say is sometimes when, when you notice you feel kind of uncomfortable with something in Scripture or you have some kind of emotional response, that might be a place that actually you have some kind of illusion about God to work through with his help. We can also look around us and do some reflective work. That's the other way, right? So sometimes it helps to look at our families of origin or our closest communities. And a lot of times in our families, um, just let me just be real, right? Sometimes in our families, extended or immediate, there are some qualities we don't love in one another. There are some things that disappoint us, that cause us some um, disillusionment. And often if we look at those, it's appropriate to say, actually, is there some element of that that's in me too? Right? Why does that bug me so much? What's going on? Is there an illusion I have about them or myself? So those are a couple just tips. But I want us to experience this just for a couple of minutes together as we close in worship. And so where you are, if you can, um, get comfortable. I'm going to ask you if, if you're willing to close your eyes or if you really are like taking notes and love to journal your thoughts, that's okay too. But try to get in a position. Um, and as the music starts, I'm going to pray for us and take us through a little reflective process with God. Okay? So let's practice this spiritual discipline together. God, you say that we can pray, search us and know us. So Holy Spirit, in these just few minutes of quiet reflection, would you reveal maybe an issue causing us to struggle, some place of disappointment or disenchantment that you want us to notice and think through with you this morning. So where you are right now in the, in the room, just let, let a place of disappointment or disenchantment or something causing you to struggle come up into your mind. Think a little bit more about that disappointment. What is it really about, do you think? God, would you show us what's it really about?
God, would you reveal, is there some illusion we've been propping up or believing that, that feeds this disappointment? Is there an illusion there you want to reveal? specific. Try to name that illusion in your mind and heart. God, you ask us to surrender illusion, to desire truth over illusion. And as we consider surrendering this illusion, maybe that's come up for us you help us to recognize ooh, what feelings or emotions are coming up as we consider giving it back to you, surrendering it. What do you notice you're feeling? And next, God, would you, would you help us to know a, a truth that you want us to embrace? What is that everlasting way that's better than the illusion? Would you reveal that as we listen, God? Just talk with him a little bit about that, plainly, just in your mind. for us this morning and it's your love it's your love that would invite us to be free of illusion to see the grave cloths taken off and so I pray God that you would give us courage this week to practice this spiritual discipline that we would desire truth over illusion and in that we would find in you a hope that does not disappoint